Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that likes nothing better than watching men with wood in their hands stroke balls through covers. Well, listening to Mastodon, obviously. Uh, by which I mean cricket, obviously. Cr- there's been cricket on this week. Uh, actually, that's a good point. Is there a sport in the world with more euphemism potential than cricket? Rugby, I think. I mean, rugby is just like the gayest sport in the world anyway, isn't it? Are you just saying that because there's a pl- position called hooker? Well, I mean, it's a big part of it. We're just, you know, scrums and fucking... You know, it's basically a gangbang, isn't it? Are you saying that as a, as, a, as a young man you didn't enjoy placing your head between another man's thighs and straining? I won't uh, make you uh, answer <laughs> that, don't worry. Uh, I, I sh- the reason I bring that up, though, is that the cricket has two brilliant things. One is that the current South African skipper is called Quinton de Kock. And when he's dismissed, that usually precipitates the commentary line, de Kock's out, which is hilarious, obviously. Uh, and also there was the uh, incident, which apparently might might actually be a, a, a complete um, urban legend. Uh, but there's the incident where uh, Michael Holding, the yeah. West, great West Indian bowler, was bowling at the uh, English batsman Peter Willey. And the commentator accurately described the situation as the bowler's holding the batsman's willy. Yeah, my dad used to tell me that story all the time, and I've since looked for it on um, YouTube and everything. I can't find it, so I think it is just a myth, unfortunately. But... Yeah, it almost certainly is, but it was quite a funny one. Um, anyway, this is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast with just a dash of cricket and euphemisms. Uh, my name is Tom Dare, and I've managed to remember to introduce myself for two weeks running, which is a record. Uh, and joining me is the man on a single-handed campaign to make me sound as ignorant as possible at pronouncing words in European languages. Mr. Matt Rushton, buenos dias, Matt. Como estas? Hello. I've got another one for you this week, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really have. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to butcher... Uh, is this my third language since you've been so. on the podcast that I'm going to so. utterly mangle? Well, this should be entertaining. <laughs> uh, but the re- exactly why that's happening will become clear later on. Uh, I'll stop telling you the, all the podcast apps we're on because you should know by now and it's all listed on our site. Uh, we're almost certainly on your favourite one. And if we're not, just get in touch and let us know and we'll take a look at that. Uh, if you do like us, though, please do consider giving us a rating, if that's possible, where you're listening, uh, as it does help us a lot. Before we move on, uh, I do need to thank everyone who listened to last week's show and got in touch with such lovely feedback. It was it was, it was was not a fun show to do, but the reaction to it was absolutely amazing. Um, I, I have never seen our social media hopping like that before, and it's a long, long time since I've had that had to reply saying thank you to that many people being lovely. We really do appreciate it. Matt, was it like for you to see all that kind of positive reaction after the the horrid shit that inspired it? Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, I wanted to echo that thanks to everyone for such positive feedback. Um, it was greatly appreciated, and you can rest assured that we will not sort of rest on those sort of issues. But it was nice to affirm that we have so many um allies you know like we said last week it is a small minority but it was really nice seeing the large majority this week um in support of everything that we said so thank you yeah i completely agree with all that um before we launch into the show i'd just like to make something clear from last week's podcast as there was a little ambiguity that came up and i'd like to nix that for anyone who's remotely unclear When we spoke about the reaction to the man-on-man photo, which was of one man kissing another man on the cheek uh, in a very tame erotic pose, 
Uh, we spoke about how we noticed that the same thing didn't happen with the covers of Typo Negative's Bloody Kisses or Cradle of Filth's The Principle of Evil Made Flesh, uh, which was where you had two women erotically posed. Uh, this was not a statement about how same-sex couples involving women and non-binary people is less likely to get people being disgusting than same-sex couples involving men or non-binary people. This was a statement about how fine people are with two women being posed as long as it's to arouse straight dudes. We don't for a second believe that it's true that lesbians have it easier, although obviously we will let uh, queer women speak for themselves um, because it's their lives and they know much more about this than I do. Uh, we just don't want anyone to have any misunderstandings that we are saying lesbians have it easier that's not the point. I really hope that's completely clear for everyone. Speaking of letting community speak for themselves, one of the things Hellbent for Metal really wants to try and do is, is help the LGBT plus community within metal to be heard, which is why we want to hear from any member of that community who helps make metal happen. If you'd like to talk to us and come on for a chat, whether you're in a band or writing for a blog or working for a label or you crewed a festival before everything went shit or anything like that, please do get in touch with us. Uh, Matt, remind everyone how they can reach us. Well, we are on the old electronic mail. It's tom.hbfm at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at hbfmpod. Instagram is hellbent for metal pod, all one word. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash hellbent for metal pod. Our DMs are open on all of those platforms, so please do get in touch, or alternatively, you can reach us by facsimile. That may be a lie. It's just a cool word, isn't it? It is a cool word. I haven't seen a fax machine in, I think, literally about 10 years. Now, it's possible. <laughs> I think I think we have one in the old Terrorizer office, but that we left that in 2013, So, or was it 2014? Something like that. Um, anyway, we don't have a fax machine. Don't try and fax us. We begin this week, though, with one of those very chats which we've just been talking about, which is uh, one something we like to call In My Kingdom Queer, because any excuse for an immortal reference. Uh, Orion is the singer in a really nasty, crusty doom band called Ilsa from Washington, D.C. Uh, their last album, Prayer, came out at the end of uh, last year, and it's bloody great, actually. It's filth, which immediately gets me interested. Uh Anyway, they are particularly interesting because they have had many queer members in their time, and at one point they were a majority queer band, which obviously meant we had to talk to them. So a couple of weeks back, I did. Uh, here's how we got on. Just to warn you, it's perils of transatlantic communication. There is a slight sound issue, which hopefully you won't find too much problem. But here is Orion. Hey, this is Orion. He, him, from Ilsa. I'm the vocalist, and uh, I'm queer or bisexual identified. You mentioned to, when you first contacted me that you that Ilsa have have had a a number of of queer members in the band. Normally, the first question I ask is, "What's your experience of being out within the scene?" Uh, the, in this case, I should probably ask, "What's your experience of being out with a group of other people who are out within the scene?" Uh, good. <laughs> it's never. It wasn't really ever something that I think was consciously done. I think at a certain point, we kind of just realized, like, "Oh wow, we're." We're a majority queer band, and that was when uh, Garrett, our one, our first guitar player, um, was still playing with us. And uh, yeah, I mean, we always were had live, uh, I think, pretty um, aggressively uh, queer uh, stage persona with Garrett in the band. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, we've 
it's coming from DC and the scene that we did. Uh, it was it really always an open place for us. Um, you know, it wasn't always that way, but like by the time I started going to shows, you know, stories about people having to fight Nazis and stuff had all been in the past. And, you know, um, the scene was, uh, uh, had a lot of women and people of color and, um, queer people and trans people, um, since I was a teenager, basically. So all of us came from, um, different, you know, not exactly the same background, but in that sense, but, um, had come from, um, being sort of out to the point where it, it, it never really was e even particularly mattered to us. And it's only been in recent years, I think, that um, we sort of have felt like that we should be amplifying that aspect of, of our of who we are. And, um, you know, I, I, we're not a necessarily like a queer band, but yeah, we are a band that has queer mem members that are vocal about who they are. And that's how I want to be. Do you, are you ever tempted to, to put that more overtly into the music because i i don't get the impression from your your band's output that that's ever something that's kind of been a theme within the band is that fair oh my lyrics i i have i've always sort of included it it, it may have been sort of in the t like wink and a nod judas priest sort of way but um i mean i, I think th you know listening through our records and stuff if you're listening with a queer ear there's a lot to pick out on um, just even in some of the sound clips and stuff. Uh, but yeah, we've always, you know, I've written heartbreak songs about boyfriends and girlfriends and, uh, you know, it's always been, um, something that is present there. Uh, it, and maybe just not necessarily what people caught on to at, at first listen. Do you think that the, I mean, you, I'm not being unfair to say you, you're quite an intentionally abrasive band, which is why you're good, but it, do you think that the, the fact that it is more abrasive means that even someone who is listening with a query like me, because I did, uh, missed it. Do you think that's do you th do you think that's just an inherent risk? Well, I don't know about a risk. Um, it, I wouldn't. I feel like that that uh, that's an aspect of the band, and it's not it's not our central focus, and it's not the end all be all of, of who we are. Just as I don't think it is for anyone's identity. Um, but it plays a role and it informs what we do. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, especially now, I mean, it, it, when you listen to metal bands, it, you know, like you could sometimes you can get a sense of what their politics might be or who they who it might be making it. But I never really think about it as having a particularly like uh, sexual oriented, you know, sound or whatever. There's no there's no like necessarily gay metal yet, but there's you know plenty of like bands that are. Um, have you know queer and trans and um, uh, gay people that are like making um, music that you know again maybe at first listen that you don't it, you, you might not be able to tell but you know once you start to look into who, who they are and what their perspective is it becomes much more clear you mentioned that the, you've you have put it into the lyrics is was that always was that kind of a conscious thing or was that just a i'm just i just want to be myself here and this is me Oh, both. Yeah, both. I mean, I, I always liked, uh, you know, like, um, so many Judas Priest songs, like, uh, Hot Rockin' and, like, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just that video alone with them all in the bathhouse and stuff. And, like, yeah. you know, like, I don't think Halford was ever, like, particularly secretive about being gay. 
he was, you know, all of the members of Judas Priest always knew that he was gay and stuff, and he came out of the theater world and stuff. So I think he like always was pretty like forward as much as you know he felt comfortable being in that in that period. And it comes like when I listen to it, you know, it, it comes through, you know, pretty clearly to me. Um, you know, like a song like Raw Deal, um, from Sad Wings of Destiny, um, has like, you know, um, or a, a Sin After Sin. Like so many of those like early songs are just like they're like queen worship first of all, but then it's also just has like such a a queer voice like you know in that time and you know uh, I, I was that that was always something that I liked about it because it's it's you know it's kind of like Morrissey in that sense too where you know it, it it's like it, it's written from a queer perspective but it can be like appreciated by straight people too or, and that's sort of always been the history of. Um, you know, like LGBT people in, in the arts is kind of having to filter that perspective through in, in other ways that now we don't necessarily have to do anymore. In terms of your, your experience within the scene, just in, in more general terms, rather than necessarily just in the band, what's your kind of, how easy have you found people within metal to deal with some of the, the things that they, might be confronted with so if you're out with a guy do you find that people notice it and pay any attention to it well ilsa people there was like a rumor i guess um when one of our other uh, guitar players dom who was also ran our label 8389 when he joined the band um you know he he got asked like oh i heard all those guys fuck each other and, and in order to you know like to get in the band you gotta like you gotta be like fucking them and stuff which we gotta laugh about and, um, you know, it was like, there was maybe some truth in that, like Garrett and I had a relationship early on and stuff. And, you know, like we were able to, you know, that was able to end and we were still able to be in the band together and are still friends today, even though he's not in the band. Um, so I don't know what people thought really about us from the outside, other than that necessarily having heard that, um, but, you know, again, um, I was really lucky to, to grow up and, and be part of the scene um, in D.C. and in Maryland um, because it's really unique in the way that even our metal scene here is like there is no tolerance for right wing fucking fascist shit. Like you just it's it's you just can't do it. Like you're going to even if you are showing up at a show with like a fucked up band shirt, somebody's going to fuck with you about it and call you out on it and stuff. So it's just like we're a very protective scene um, to try. And, you know, it's not perfect, but to try and create a space where it can be open and inviting to all people. And, you know, who knows what that's going to be once everything opens up again, because I think everything's going to sort of start again from zero. Um, but that's that cycle has also been something that's been a part of living here and sort of seeing um, that sort of transitory nature of the scenes and stuff. Um, and, you know, met, the metal scene here has had a lot of faces when I was in high school. It was like Darkest Hour. Was, was playing and you know bands like page 99 and majority rule um and so there it was like kind of a more post-punk metal um that you know like or more punk influenced metal um and post-hardcore and stuff so that kind of like um you know always sort of like influenced our sound to an extent um i, I would say like having experienced that music myself um as a vocalist and stuff um that that those like more abrasive and harsher vocals was just like always a part of the scene around here. That's interesting because I grew up going to shows where it you know it was extremely normal to see some dude in a Burzum shirt, which you know obviously is not exactly the kind of thing that makes 
made me feel massively welcome. And dissection shirts as well. It was the dissection shirts that I kind of personally found really offensive to me rather than just generally offensive. But it it's really interesting to to hear that for you that obviously can't have been the case like that would have just been people would have been told to fuck off if they did that yeah i mean and not throughout the entire time and again like i'm I'm kind of speaking as somebody that was like in the more like diy punk scene and stuff before you know there was um maryland death fest has been around for like what like 20 something years now or whatever and early early on i remember when it was just like happening in in like this bar the thunderdome i think in in baltimore and it was like this small thing and like the metal scene has really like exploded since like you know probably uh, um you know i would say like the early to mid 2000s and stuff and it's been cool to see like how big maryland death fest has gotten and stuff from somebody that's sort of like you know like the only one i ever went to was the one that we played but just to sort of like see all the every year how many people would bring in and what an influx it was and, and, and stuff and how it would like influence the music around here um so we've kind of like it's an unusual place to to live because there's a lot of like different histories that are interacting i mean there's maryland doom too which has this like great kind of like uh camp sort of like history in itself of just being like the sabbath worship to the point of like you know uh ridiculousness in some ways um and you know even just like bobby somebody like bobby liebling he's like he's straight but like he has a queerness about him in the sense that like heroes wear his mom's blouses on stage and stuff when they would perform and so there's like this kind of like you know like there's that and fucking the dc hardcore history and stuff in the city and, and yeah. like discord records and all that um you know when i was a kid i, I grew up going to like um, positive force which was like a punk mutual aid organization in the city and doing things like food not bombs and stuff like that so i i was kind of like never really had to deal with a lot of the fucking right-wing bullshit that that people in other cities did um but that said i mean like we had like a huge like nazi protest that was in um the capital like when i was a fucking 15 year old that i went to with my friends and we almost got beat up by nazis like afterwards and stuff so they've there's like they've always been sort of like a threat of that violence and stuff that's there on the horizon but like i said like by the time i was going to shows if you were going to show up and try and fucking wear a screwdriver shirt or something like chances are people were going to fight you and even if you looked like a skinhead unless people saw that you were like an ara like anti-racist skin it would still probably be pretty dangerous for you so but there were punk gangs in dc like there was like a skinhead gang in dc that used to target gay men um in dupont circle which is sort of like the um the like uh traditional lgbt district in the city and you know that they were a terror and um they were led by like a a black skinhead woman um that like uh was i think pretty queer herself um but uh yeah it was like led this gang that basically like targeted gay men and like i think they were like gay skinheads too so there's like this whole weirdness about that entire uh history but uh, yeah, they were like sort of would beat up punks and stuff like that, too, in the city when they saw them. So it's always been like a threat that's existed, you know, and especially now looking at like post January 6th, like, yeah. it, you know, again, it's just like here, it's just here, you know, it's never gone. So everybody has to be like, you know, on the offensive when it comes to that sort of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the scene's always been pretty, pretty great and pretty welcoming. Can you give a, a an example of something that kind of that really did 
hammer home that this was a a safe space to be queer that you were operating in because sometimes it's kind of the thing i've often noticed is there are a lot of spaces which would be actually quite welcoming but there's no indication that they are until you're visibly out when all of a sudden people are really nice about it um but until you do it can sometimes be a bit um intimidating are there any kind of visual or or kind of audio where someone said something where that that was a an example that was kind of that made it feel safe yeah i mean i remember i, I can't it was there's a great um a house venue that uh a, a friend of mine um whitney had helped start called the corpse fortress and and she's a great musician herself and had played in this band turbo slut from around here that's like an awesome like heavy punk band um and i just remember like coming out of a show out of like a base of the basement there at a show and just seeing like her and a bunch of other people just pummeling this guy against a fence who I guess had like been like calling people faggots or something throughout the night. And they all just like had him like pinned up against the fence and we're just beating the shit out of him. And to me, that was just like, all right, like, yeah, this is not something that's going to be like ever tolerated around here. Like at least at that time, you know, like, and that was like a really, you know, like I, I never felt prouder of that house and stuff than, than at that point. And, you know, that wasn't the only time that we had to like beat up homophobes and stuff there, but like just that seeing that, that time in, in particular. But, you know, like I said, other than that, like, I feel like it was mainly like, maybe like parties more than shows where like I would be hanging out with older punks and stuff. And just like, you know, I remember playing like spin the bottle and like, you know, the first time I ever kissed a guy I was playing spin the bottle after like a punk show at a party at a house. And like, you know, just that always being something that was like, you know, just a part of the, the like ecosystem of just being, um, you know, like a young queer and stuff. I mean, I already, it wasn't like that was like, uh, eye opening for me or something. Like I basically already had a sense of my sexuality since I was, you know, a kid. So I feel like that the, uh, you know, as I got older and stuff, just things make more sense or whatever. So, <laughs> are there any kind of obvious flip sides that you've personally experienced within the scene, as a, you know, as opposed to kind of things that have happened nearby or in the, in the surrounding area? But anything that's kind of that's kind of been the opposite experience, or have you actually been quite lucky and and not had much? I mean, there's trans women murdered in DC like regularly. There's trans women being murdered all over the u.s you know and at like record numbers that are completely forgotten like it's not safe to be like out and and you know gay or lesbian or trans like especially trans especially if you're a person of color so there's like you know that again it's like that looming threat is always there um and i'm particularly lucky like as a white male and who doesn't necessarily appear like gay at first sight particularly or like if I do, I'm six foot plus and like 180 pounds. So it's not like I, I you know, like I, I'm a little bit more intimidating and I have a lot of these privileges that, that other people don't when it comes to the way that I live my life. But, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I feel, I still feel like there's a sense of like, you know, even within metal, there's still this sort of internalized homophobia where like there's, you know, I know that there's a lot of, um, gay and, um, LGBT people that are, that are in metal. Um, and especially when it comes to like gay white men that are like, or, you know, bisexual or queer white men that are, are not as out or as, you know, like maybe as vocal or whatever as it may appear. And I feel like that's when it's more important to, to sort of, 
um, to talk about that and to lean on that because, you know, like it's not, it's, it's not just about like breaking stereotypes and stuff, but it's about maintaining that safe space for each other so that we can all be the types of queens that we want to be. And it's, it's being the type of, the type of queen that you want to be is that, um, to steal your phrase entirely, cause it's really good. Um, is that something that you kind of, you look at and you think, there's still things that I haven't done with that. There's like, th- there's ideas of things that I, you know, expressions of myself that I want to get out there that I haven't yet managed. Not necessarily because I haven't been, you know, I've felt restricted. I just haven't got there yet. Oh yeah, that's the journey, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the screen que- screen queen, so I got I got that going for me. But yeah, I mean, it's the journey. Like I was married to a woman for for um eight years. I just got divorced for you know six years and then another two before we separated. Um and um the cousin of two of my bandmates and Ilsa. So I, I I have a fucking bad habit of shitting where I eat, I guess. But uh uh. Yeah, I mean it, that, and she, you know, when I when I met her, I, she was, you know, I was always open about who I was and stuff, and that was a surprise for me because I didn't necessarily expect at that point in my life to be um, falling in love with a woman. Um, but I also like have never really, like I said, my when it comes to like genders, that's not never really been. I, I like personalities and people, and that's way hotter than somebody's body necessarily. Like, uh, and I, you know. I just feel like that, uh, that it's, it's, a. Uh, um, I'm now that I'm single again, I am getting to explore these things that I didn't necessarily before, uh, you know, shit like grinder or just like being single and so, sort of leaning into maybe seeing what it would be like to be, you know, in a, a gay relationship, like after having been in a, um, hetero sort of relationship for years. And I also felt like I didn't really have the, space to to be speaking on a lot of um queer issues when i was married because i felt like i was really um, the benefactor of all of these straight privileges basically like as a married person in in a monogamous heterosexual relationship it just didn't really feel like particularly appropriate to be like talking about like oh yeah you know like i'm 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 queer blah 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 like i never hit it or anything but it was it i felt like that um that space should be should be left open for others and to be amplified and stuff. So I kind of felt like that was m- more of my focus at that point. Whereas now, like you know, I'm I want a boyfriend. Like I'm ready to jump back into everything and like you know, like I want to like taste all the fruit and like go out there and like see what you know. Like I'm not now because of fucking COVID, but yeah. w- once it's done, you know, like I'm ready to dive back into that. So well, good luck. I could, I mean I personally recommend it but then i didn't really have much other choice um, <laughs> um just on the on the the visibility thing because this is something as a as a gay guy i've always felt that there's there's one privilege i have within um the the male lgbt community which is that i'm i pretty much always visible if i'm with my partner and in my day-to-day life because if he's there it's obvious however if i was bi i would just look like a gay dude and if i was bi and if i was in a, a heterosexual relationship i would just look like a straight dude and it's it's so easy to forget that it's actually much harder to be day, to be visible in your day-to-day life if you are queer or pan or, or bi or however you want to define it um because it's it's just 
the the reality of of who you are is easier to forget as the you know the binary gay dude what can i and also people who aren't part of the lgbt community do to kind of to make bi visibility more obvious to to the people who need to see it i don't know i feel like that the i i still kind of feel like i'm i'm of the mind frame that like bi is like totally uncool like i i was like i don't you know like when i came out i came out as queer and stuff and i've always like identified as queer i feel like that from sort of the same reason that i was saying before that there is a that like I don't think that that I think that people need, who need to be supported are the ones whose voices are like n- not being heard like at all. Like I was saying, like trans people of color, you know, like um, uh, non-binary people, like all of these other allies and people that are in the same struggle as we are that don't get to pass because passing to me is just like um, that's like the, that's the privilege or whatever. And that's not always the case because there is something like with like when it comes to trans people like passing can be really important part of your identity and so like i don't you know like begrudge anybody wanting to present themselves in any way like i i think that part of what's funny about metal is aesthetic is that it's like particularly gay to me you know like all the studs and the spikes and everything even toned down from judas priest aesthetic like it's all pretty gay still you know like it's very macho and like masculine and like this kind of like Tom of Finland vibe that, yeah. like, you know, has, has completely like, you know, to this day perpetuated every corner of the genre. And that's great. That's like the best part of it, you know, like, uh, but when it comes to supporting like bi people, like I think bi people need to be supporting other people in, in the, in the community and stuff. And like, you know, like I said, I still feel like, uh, that, that even in something like this, that I'm that I'm speaking where somebody else might have something more important to say. Like I'm, I want to be an ally, and I, um, more than I feel like I I need support from other people because I'm just like able to go about my business without people fucking bothering me, you know. Uh, other than maybe looking like a fucking weirdo, but it's not that I look like a, a sexual weirdo in their minds. I just look like a fucking normal run of the grade sleaze bag, so. Yeah, I I I've been guilty of looking that way many times myself. All right. <laughs> thank you so much. This has been fantastic and thank you very much for coming on. Ah, oh, Tom of England. Great talking to you. <laughs> thank you. I know I said it at the end there, but thank you to Orion for coming on there. That was a a fun chat for for me particularly, and I I think he had some really important things to say as well. Uh, If you need to hear it again, by the way, his band is Ilsa and their new album, which I really do recommend, uh, is called Prayer. Uh, We'll have another In My Kingdom Queer in two weeks' time. We move on to the Hate Crew Gay Bar. This is where we've set up a heavy metal gay bar, stocked the jukebox with all the classics, but need to keep adding new stuff because the bar staff are moaning that all they ever hear these days are songs from Cleopatra by Everdawn, and we can't blame them for that, but uh, we need to help the staff out. Um, So each week we add a record we're nuts about with the potential for a third if we both agree on the same thing. Uh, Matt, you spent three weeks picking weird black metal bands with names designed to make me look ignorant, so I can't possibly imagine why this week you've picked Crononata. No, it's not even called that, is it? It's called (laughs) Crononata by Intumentata Chiette. So uh, help me out with your thinking here. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I'd not heard any of these guys' stuff before, um, but as I like to do, I went back to some of their early material off the back of this, and it is quite a mix. Um, their 2017 album was essentially just a black metal album. Their 2014 album, the one before that, was more of a folk, uh, acoustic, sort of ambient type thing. This is... Uh, what is this? <laughs> I have no idea, oh, but I'll Christ tell you one thing. Knows. If you don't like this, Tom, I am going to be very upset. Tell me that you do. Uh, um, before, before we get to what I think of it, I need to come in by saying I don't think it's actually that bonkers to listen to it. What it takes is a totally insane person to even try it and think that this might work because it's, (laughs) it's whacking together so many bits and pieces that just on surface of it, you just go, why the fuck would you even think of that? That's mad. So like they'll put something which is kind of, is jazz or is, is kind of swing. There are these fucking swing interludes. I'll get back to them. Um, (laughs) with like crushing metal riffs and really kind of harsh black metal vocals and then two really good uh vocalists one uh male one female doing these amazing clean lines and then like jazzy proggy bits and you just it's almost impossible to actually describe what it actually is because it's so varied and so mad until you listen to it you said last week about the ruins of Everest album um, being incredibly dense, and you know, obviously, whilst genre-wise, this is nothing like that. Yeah, it's, there's so much going on here. You know, to give you an idea, listeners, like what Tom was just saying about the first song itself. It starts with a jazzy build to a tremolo pitch guitar line with a spoken word verse. Uh, what's in the background? Yeah, there's some synths that you'd expect to find in a space-themed prog rock epic. Uh, this then fades out into orchestral strings with a really awesome saxophone part reminiscent of like modern jazz bands like uh, the comet is coming um and then a chugging guitar which then all cuts out at around the five minute mark gives way to a pizzicato string break which bursts into a monolithic riff to take us home i mean this sounds utterly batshit i realize but i am completely and irreversibly in love with this i mean the second track comes in with a disgustingly heavy riff as well and then it turns into fucking nightwish what's going on here how much did you love when the um, accordion comes in on the second track and it goes for like 1920s gypsy fairground. <laughs> I bloody love that. Yeah, I, 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 so I can't good. keep my poker face on. I really fucking like this. It's great. Um, I'd never heard of the, this lot before because they are right out of the obscure bit. But God, they're fun. Um, I th- As much as all of this sounds completely mad, I think listening to it is actually quite a logical experience. There's like this initial what the hell is going on, but that doesn't last to the end of the song, I found. I found really quickly it started slotting into place and all the kind of the weird stuff they were doing started sounding really catchy and much more about emotion and mm-hmm. kind of, I'm doing this because I think this is cool and I want to do this, not, look at me, I'm well clever, wacky, look yeah. at my interesting hat. It's not doing that thing, it's doing it's doing the, this is wicked, isn't it, thing. And I just went, no, this is great, it's so much fun. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, whoever came up with it is totally batshit, but the result yeah. is actually quite, it's quite easy to understand and it's very melodic. Yeah, like you say, um, it's not like they're trying actively to put something out which is going to confuse or unsettle people it's just i think yeah. clearly these people these people's brains function in a different way to what would be <laughs> a standard musician um i mean you know you say about emotion as well track three uh called downia whatever is fucking Good beautiful luck. it's uh, it's a ballad essentially it's a duet at that i mean the male and female vocals work so well off each other you know the instrumentation and the vocal melodies along with the power of the vocals themselves i mean 
I hear this and I think it literally could be like a classic Italian love song released 30 years ago, but it's just randomly in the middle of this underground metal bands album in 2021. I mean, it does go well heavy around the four minute mark, but other than that, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 like the 1920s, 30s thing. The, the, there's these little interludes, which are, are samples, which sound like they're, they're radio in the background. And it's, it's playing what I th- I'm not an expert on this type of music, but it sounds to me like Benny Goodman. It was a swing musician who played the clarinet from the 1930s. And it's it it reminds me of, and um, bear with me, uh, in the film version of Cabaret, um, and at some point we are going to have to talk about that film at length, where the songs that, there are bits where the songs that didn't make it into the movie but were in the stage show are used as incidental music, like either playing in the radio or in a gramophone. And this radio, these like little swing interludes, like one of them's a tango, but the rest of it's swing. They remind me of that. It's like this this cool little aside, which is you know surrounding all this music. You're just hearing this aside, and it really adds loads of atmosphere. And anything that reminds me of Cabaret is just fantastic. Anyway, so yeah, that bit I fucking love. I really like the effect of that. Let's talk about the production. Uh, these guys have 600 monthly listeners on Spotify. So how on earth is the production so stunning? <laughs> yeah, it's really well produced. Isn't it? I'm, so I imagine stunning. they must have. Re- it must be self-produced, right? Mm. I mean, everything finds its own space and clarity in the mix. And when there's so many different tracks and layers, that's so hard to get right. Uh, this, the whole thing just sounds gorgeous. Like nothing is muddled, um, and it's a good job because I think if it was quite a rough or compressed production job. Um, so much of the sort of intricacies of this would get lost and it yes. could sound quite jumbled. But as it is, every song to me sounds completely different and has its own sort of unique uh, character and flavour. They all combine really well to make what I honestly think is a spectacular album. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, it helps as well that it's all very well done, right? All of the bits mm-hmm, are good. Exactly. So, particularly the singers. I mean, the, the singers, both male and female, have great voices and have great melodies. And as much as the instrumental stuff is really good, and especially that bit at the start of Abraccio d'Emilia, which sounds like it's, it's that so, the start of that song sounds like the cult, right? And mm. that immediately go, wow, what are you doing there? And it's really cool. Uh, as much as all that stuff's great, I think the vocal is the thing that tie it all together. And I think they're they're the thing which gives which allows it to have this kind of overall effect, which is where I feel like in, I'm in some kind of ex expressionist period melodrama yeah. involving romance and death it's mm-hmm. ju- it's it's so evocative i've no idea what's actually going on but it's great fun and thank you yeah. for this one this is a fantastic addition to the jukebox i like it i'm glad that you like it yeah um listeners if you do just come here for metal as well there are some beefy riffs too there's a great riff on los guado danteo yes has a groove of a band like lamb of god um some of the trucking guitars on that song you just mentioned abraccio d'amelia so reminiscent of some mid-era opeth yeah. However, if you are returning to this episode because of my promise in last week's episode of more mid noughties pop references within metal, then <laughs> I, I am a man of my word. Uh, Tom, do you remember the band Tattoo? I do. What the Russian band? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The two guys, yeah. the two uh, women who were were lesbian Supposedly or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know. The, fe- I the female them very vocals. Well. The female vocals all over this record are so similar, both in tone and some of the melodies, to Yulia from Tattoo. So, there you are. You're welcome. I, I'd be lying if I said I remember their music <laughs> that well. I, I mean, obviously I remember them because, Christ, every, they were yeah. everywhere. What was the song that they did that was everywhere? Um, all, all the, the things, things she said. said. That was it, yeah. yeah. Dang it, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a good song. Um, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I love this record. I think this is my album of the year so far by quite some distance. Uh, mine's still The Ruins of Beavers, but th- um, this is very, very good. Um, but I think we should let the Italians tango off onto the HGCB dance floor, because otherwise I may start sounding like Captain Bertarelli from Allo Allo. Uh, Intermentata Chieti's album Cononotta is now in the jukebox. Uh, my pick this week is very different, but absolutely anything in the world that I could possibly have brought in would be very different. So that doesn't help you at all. Uh, the band is called Sonata, who are a Polish stonery doom band who mix in shamanic chanting. They call themselves shamanistic doom. I don't know if they're calling that or what their PR was called that, but that's what they're referring they're referred to as. Uh, and their new album is called Burning in Heaven, Melting on Earth, uh, and it is mesmerizing, trance-inducing riff heaven. Uh, Matt, how is this sitting with you? I've been looking forward to talking to you about this all week. Tom, I cannot even put into words how much I fucking love this album. It's so good, isn't it? It's so good. This was one of those which, um, obviously, whilst I am still getting more out of it on every listen, I knew I loved it from my very first. The yeah, mood same. is that it's right from the off with the really soft cymbal work and the flange guitar in the first song. And then when Simon's um, brooding vocals uh, come in, I, I love it. Like It builds for a couple of minutes and then goes full remission era, Mastodon, or sort of early Baroness for a second, then slows down again. Honestly, the production on this as well is so luscious the guitar tones all over this record are wonderful but jesus christ the bass the bass being so high in the mix and the warmth on that like come in here and just stop this being a spaff fest from me (laughs) well uh, no i can't i'm afraid i mean the the remarkable thing is as well that it's recorded live all the Mm -hmm. instruments at the same time which means they the band themselves they must be tighter than the bathing suit on a muscly dude on the pull on Mykonos because it sounds amazing it sounds like it was like incredibly well produced but apparently no it's just they've recorded mm. it themselves and they're, they're a, an unsigned band an unsigned band they're self-releasing this which it's is insane. which is insane I, th- I think it helps that it's like they're heavy right they're a metal band but they aren't Yob or Electric Wizard, right? It's not absolute destruction or you're crushing misery. It's much more kind of Caius territory. And I yeah. think that helps it be fun in between they're just hypnotizing you. And it also means that the weird shamanic stuff, which is great, by the way, fits in really well because it's not overwhelmed by the riffs. And it just all makes me feel like I'm being made to kind of stare into the sky and perceive the universe and all that kind of stuff and then bang my head. Yeah, talking about a hypnotic aspect, um, are you a Jeff Buckley fan at all? No, not really. If if it's I seriously, if 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 someone gets a, a guitar and starts doing Jeff Buckley covers, I'm I'm leaving. I'm getting. I'm leaving oh. the postcode. It's it's the kind of thing that really sets my hackles up. Well, track two um, on this, God Emperor of June, is really reminiscent of my favourite Jeff Buckley song, Dream Brother, with its um, Eastern guitar influences and like modal uh, vocal melodies which I thought was really cool. The next song as well, A Million Lives, the groove on that riff with the really cool lead lick behind it. It's got that repetitive sort of doomy um, psychedelic stoner sort of thing that um, Turbo Wolf were doing on their second album, which I fucking love that album. Um, I mean, this, I can imagine would be so fun to see live. This is one of the albums uh, which has come out over the past year that have made it really hit home how much i'm missing live music because yeah. this would be such a fucking vibe yeah I and mean, this is certainly the most since since we me and joe spoke about skeletal remains last year this is firmly the album which has made me miss gigging most because i mm. kind of i could this at roadburn right would be the fucking yes. best thing in the world but i 
I have been listening to this so much, and I keep wanting to go back for more. And it's even though it, you know, it does make me kind of miss the live arena. It, it's the fact that it's so good makes me not want to put it down because, like, the riffs are ace, and they do have a terrific groove going. But it's the atmosphere that they construct that gets it for me. Because, I mean, I just go with whatever they're doing. It just makes me go with them. Uh, whether it's you know they're making me try to punch the air on a million lives like you mentioned before, or whether they want me to kind of close my eyes in reverie to Verva the Cirrus, you know that it's I just go with them. I'm just they've absolutely hooked me. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is as well for me down to the vocals. There's so many different styles that Simon does. Some yeah. of the harsher vocals on this uh, sound somewhat like Scott Kelly from Neurosis, and it fits really well. It's only sparingly the harshest. You know, most of this album is clean singing but it's really cleverly placed in just where it needs to be to have the most impact what i really love about this record is the amount of influences it takes from not just non-metal stuff but stuff that's rarely heard in western music i mean i've already mentioned about a lot of the melodies being modal rather than standard sort of scalic but you've also got things like throat singing like you said sort of uh, shamanic chanting on vulva it is worth percussion. pointing out. It is worth pointing out that throat singing is used in some kind of European uh, stuff, like uh, Sami uh, music includes quite a lot of that. Yeah, so, yeah, but so, it's not something you hear every day, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, well, unless you're unless you're a, a Corpiclani <laughs> fan, and you've listened to the yeah. old stuff. But you know, no, it's not. But yeah, that's that sort of gives this album a real uniqueness to me, and sort of really makes me want to go in on this band further. Um, just saying that Intormentata Quiete is my album of the year. I think this is number two. <laughs> to Ooh. be honest. It's a oh. hell of a week. Oh, so, so oh, poor Everdawn. They've been knocked down your list, <laughs> list into third. Um, but yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you're along with this because I, like, I'm mega picky with this stuff, right? Like, whether it comes yeah, to same. Stone, when it comes to Stone and Sludge Doom, I adore some of it. Like, I mentioned Yob before. I will go, I will seriously listen to uh, go and do a, a like three night residency of Yob where they just play all this stuff I think Mike Shite is a genius um, but as we as I said when I spoke about Thou a, f- a few episodes back some of this kind of stuff just doesn't do it for me this won me over first listen and I've not stopped listening to it since that's probably enough non-stop riff, discu- riff discussion for this week uh, we will have more entries for the jukebox next Monday We finish this week on a camp classic, and this week it is arguably the most famous song from a genuinely massive metal band, and I don't think we've been able to say that before. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Pull Me Under by Dream Theater, which I would imagine pretty much everyone over the age of about 15 has heard. Uh, Matt, I'm a tad nervous asking about this, but Dream Theater, yay or nay, ducks? Um, not really a fan, no. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of you Dream Theater. You shot me. Uh, <laughs> I've seen them a couple of times live and I, I really appreciate and sort of respect what they do um, and in fact I often quite like the musical canvas but yeah I mean unfortunately I know he gets this thrown at him a lot bless him but no matter how many times I've tried I just cannot get on board with James LeBrie's vocals I think I have less of a problem with him than you do but I, even mm. I will admit that he's not the best no but yeah so this song I mean I've heard it countless times obviously but in researching this week's show it became apparent to me that i must have always turned it off before the end because why does it end like that oh it's because so b- because prog matt because prog. it just cuts out like halfway through a line of music <laughs> yeah it does and the next the next song doesn't continue it it's not yeah like that's it. what i was thinking i was like oh surely it must be like a segue into the next song and then i listened to the next song I was like okay this makes no sense <laughs> because prog matt 
Okay, because right, wrong. <laughs> uh, I should add that I I lo- I love about fifty percent of the Dream Theater I listen to, and the other fifty percent leaves me very cold. And sometimes it's an album that leaves me very cold, or sometimes it's half an album, or sometimes it's none of an album that leaves me very cold, and I like all of it. But then I think the next one stinks. Uh, I have had issues with their fans in the past because their fans can be used to be quite obnoxious. Like they were the kind of people who said, well, yes, everyone's entitled to have their own favorite band. But really, my favorite band is better than your favorite band (laughs) because my favorite band aren't just my favorite band. They're also better musicians than your favorite band are. To which I used to pretend, well, my favorite band is Symphony X and they are both a better band than Dream Theater. And they're better musicians because their singer is really good. Um, That and you should that was I don't normally I've never really engaged in trolling, but dropping that particular bomb was quite funny um anyway uh moving on to pull me under itself uh what do you get from the song itself um so i'm quite interested to hear your take on this but for me it's not too dissimilar to when we were talking about the wicker man by iron maiden a couple weeks ago in the sort of camp interpretation um i sort of feel like it could be about being lost in confusion with how you're feeling when you're figuring yourself out with you know obviously for us would be our sexuality that sort of thing you know there's there's lines the whole world is spinning around me when you are uh, trying to sort of figure yourself out it seems like everyone else has found themselves already you you feel like a sort of odd one out um because you don't know what's happening how you're feeling is this normal is it not and it seems like everything else is just going by and happening as 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 ever but yet you're lost in your own head trying to figure it out you know and i guess the line every day sends future to past as well i guess could be about worrying when you're gonna figure yourself out you always have or for me i always had that thing like am i ever gonna be you know comfortable in sort of accepting this or admitting this or not even accepting it because i was like what is going on yeah (laughs) so that's my sort of take really that's interesting because you've hit on exactly the right line and the bridge mm. was the you know, that's the that lyric you've just quoted is is the bridge of the song and that's exactly what i was going to talk about because for me it just it reminds me of my final days in the closet and actually mm. in my final days in the closet it resonated intensely with me then uh, which is in no way coincidental at all to the fact that that was also the time i got into dream theater and the thing that i feel is not so much it or at least my inter- my my resonating with the song wasn't so much it figuring myself out because i kind of had it was that i mean unlike you i came out as an adult i was in my 20s and i that sense that everything is spinning around me and that things that i hoped would happen would have happened by now have now passed me was very very strong um you know that kind of that that flicker of attraction you felt with that guy that I'd kind of wanted to act on, but was too deep in the closet and, and never had, and now I've missed the opportunity. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, although in hindsight, the, the most obvious one I can think of in that case was is a case of, thank fuck, that would have been a disastrous relationship. <laughs> he was an arsehole. Um, but, you know, that was a source of huge anxiety for me, a kind of, oh God, I need to get out now. I'm missing out on everything. But also of depression of, oh God, I've left it too late. What's the point? Does any of that make sense? Yeah, um, definitely. That's sort of what I feel as well. Um, the whole clouds roll by and I roll with them. It's just trying to go ahead 
acting, you know, acting straight or whatever. Um, the whole world is spinning without me, trying to ignore what you're feeling, trying to stay in the closet and you know everyone else is just you're seeing them be able to get on with the lives that they want to lead and be able to get on without any fears or anything and you're just there wishing that that could be you i guess yeah and certainly the, you know, the wishing that was you i mean so the, the kind of the envy of of people who are out and in mm. relationships and comfortable with themselves and had accepted themselves even you know in some cases even people who'd kind of lost their families because of it it was still kind of it was still there was still a, a jealousy of their comfort, um, so that that I completely get. Um, the thing, the other refrain that rang through to me is the is the chorus is the "pull me under, I'm not afraid" refrain, because I mean that that kind of applied to me in both directions. Because when I got images and words, that was how I was starting to feel with depression, and that you know that I was kind of so miserable about my whole situation that I was thinking quite seriously about giving in and taking my own life. I didn't, obviously, and I if you are of a thing like that, f- just for God's sake, call for some help. Um but now I don't think about that at all, even though that was what I was thinking when I when I heard the song. Now what I think is the opposite when I hear it. I think it's I think of the point I finally went, fuck it, this is who I am and I'm not afraid to live that way. Which quite literally saved my life. But yeah, that's really quite um I think inspiring. Um, I, I I often look, I often have that with um, different songs where, um, when you first hear them, you relate to them in a certain way. It speaks to you on a certain level. It's what you're feeling right then, um, and then you go back a few years later and you have a completely different feeling. And like for you, it can be a sort of opposite thing, or it can be like you said that you see it in such a different way now that it's had that line specifically sort of had the reverse effect of what you sort of first felt about it. So I think that's really, that's really quite something um, for a musician to be able to make you feel like that is, you know, it's the, it's the cliche, isn't it? But the power of music is quite something. It is. I mean, in, lyrically, we should possibly say at this point that the lyrics are actually about Hamlet. It was inspired by, as in the Shakespeare play. Maybe so. No, no, it definitely is. They, they, <laughs> they, they've like said quite overtly in interviews. No, no, no. Yeah, that's what it was about. Um, so we should probably be crediting the bard for that soliloquy, <laughs> still having meaning four hundred years later because he was quite clever. Um, but I, I, when I heard it, I didn't know that. I, you know, I, I, I learned that kind of I don't know, five ten years later that I actually found out that you know, oh, that's what it's about. And I went, oh, oh, okay, fine. But you know, it, it is the power of the both the music and the lyrics to make you feel one thing at one point and then years later to mm-hmm, have exactly. something totally different. But I think that's probably the, the prog epic analysed enough um, because we've got a another camp classic coming for you next week, which is absolutely ferocious, fierce. Um, but I think, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, Matt, thank you as always. Thank you. I cannot wait for next week's show because I think I know what I'm going to bring in. It's going to be even more mental. <laughs> Oh great! Uh, please tell me that uh, the title's in English because you know I uh, I am veering dangerously close to getting a bad reputation as kind of um, a bit UKP, which I'm not. It actually is. Yeah, thanks. It's an English title, lovely. It's an English. It's an English title. Beautiful British name. No, I'm. I'm. I just. I, I just. I want to stop making <laughs> stop a fool. Now. Of my, I, stop now, Tom. No, I just want to stop making a fool of myself when I try and speak languages that I don't know. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, we will be back next week for that uh, and for the absolutely unbelievable Camp Classic, as uh, as well as the uh, the side by side that inspired the concept. Uh, but until then, listen to Intomentate Quiete, listen to Sanita, and remember, it does get better. Toodaloo. What a mistake of a maker. For fuck's sake. <laughs>